Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, Check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. So hi, everyone. My name is Dawn Brown, and I am joined by our special guest, Ashley Poole, who is a physical therapist and assistant director of clinical education at Duke University Doctor of Physical Therapy Program. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, Dawn. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. So... I want to ask you a, a first question. Tell us about your educational journey in physical therapy and even your journey as a director of clinical education. Sure. You know, I graduated way back in 2000, so I'm dating myself here back when they didn't have DPT programs. But, you know, I, I was a clinician for 20 years before I transitioned into academia. And my first venture, I would say, into education really was being a clinical instructor and teaching students in the clinic. And I really, really loved that so much that I got my CI credentialing from the APTA and then my advanced clinical instructor credentialing. And then that led into me adjuncting some and being a teaching assistant, you know, in physical therapy programs. And I realized I really, really loved it. And I felt like I could have a really big impact on the other side, you know, because on the academic side, you are really getting those students like right at the beginning of their education and can really, I feel like have a positive role in transforming them and also just the profession of physical therapy as a whole. And so because of all my experience in clinical education in the clinic, it was a natural transition for me to want to do clinical education on the other side. So um, I started in that role in 2019, so not that long ago. So I'm fairly new in that role. But I'm also a cardiovascular pulmonary specialist, so I have my jobs teaching. So I really feel like I get a, a good understanding of like classroom and clinic. Now with you, and I can definitely, my, your story resonates with me because I came out, you know, 20 plus years ago with the master's and, you know, working my way up into being in education as well. Yeah. Within your role as a director of clinical education, which I am as well, do you find any differences between that role and just the general educational or didactic component of physical therapy? Uh, very much so. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like so much of what they do in the didactic portion of their education leads into that clinical education component, right? And I feel like it's very important in this role to have an understanding of what they're learning in the classroom and what they're going to be taking into the clinic. And I think what's equally important for me to gather from the clinic what the students are doing well in and what their struggles and challenges are to bring back to the didactic portion and say, hey, our students are really struggling in this area. Maybe we need to beef up, beef up this part of our education. And speaking of, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on this podcast is because of the groundbreaking, and I call it groundbreaking research that you're doing in belongingness, because when we often think about students who are struggling, we chalk it up to what they know or what they don't know, but we don't necessarily look at it from the lens of, do they feel like they belong at their clinical site? Do they feel like someone is invested in what they're doing and cares about them and their unique sociocultural identities? So tell me about your research on sense of belonging or, or belongingness and why you came about exploring that topic. Yeah, and I really appreciate you bringing me on to talk about this because I'm very passionate about it. And 
and Don is one of my team members in this project. So <laughs> we're all very excited. And I can't, I can't talk about it without talking about my team. So Don Brown is one of the team members, Carla Bell, Chris Condren, Kyle Covington, and Susan Hippert, who comes from the PA world, but she, she's our expert in validation. But I, I stumbled on this because when I first transitioned over to academia, you know, I, I really didn't know what our students were feeling in the classroom, first of all. And so, you know, my first venture into academia, you know, it was right before March of 2020. And it kind of was at the heightened, you know, aspect of like the George Floyd killing and all these like racial, you know, injustices happening. And so our DPT students wrote a letter to our faculty. And I, I have to tell you, Don, I was sitting there reading that letter and I had just so many emotions from like, I'm like just sad and crying to like just outrage and anger. And I was just like, wow, like I'm so new in this world of academia and I want to make a difference. What can one person do? What can I do? And so for me, it started with clinical education because that was a big part of my job. And I never realized when I taught in the clinic, the, the vast and diverse amount of experiences that students were having in the clinic. So now I'm on the other side hearing some of these injustices happening in the clinic and some of these mistreatments and microaggressions. And so the research actually started with me just wanting to improve the clinical education experience for Black and LGBTQ plus students, because those are the students I felt that were coming to me with these adverse experiences. And in exploring that, we came across some literature in belongingness, and we decided to kind of ground our, our study in the theory of belongingness. And then in researching belongingness more, we came across this scale that already existed in the nursing literature that actually measured belongingness in the clinical placement experience. So that's kind of how I stumbled along this. And the more I read about belongingness, the more it really resonated with me. And then it made me realize like, you know what, no matter how many diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives you put into practice, if the students don't first feel like they belong in that space, none of that's gonna matter. So that's the direction we decided to go. Right, and I, and I appreciate you bringing it up about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know those terms have been around for decades, but like you said, it was the events that happened in 2019, 2020 that led people to be more cognizant or conscious of you know, inequities. And as you said, you can have diversity, whether it be you know, racial and ethnic diversity, whether it be gender diversity, uh, sexual orientation, et cetera. And you can have inclusion and you can have equity, but if that belongingness, that's not the same thing as inclusion. I think a lot of people don't recognize the difference in those words. They're not mutually exclusive, but belongingness in and of itself is a whole different entity. Now, when you start exploring you know, with our team, we start exploring the belongingness um, and you start talking about this with other physical therapists, whether they were educators or in the clinical experience, what was their sense about this research that you're doing? How they, how they take that? Well, you know, we haven't, we haven't necessarily brought it to fruition yet and actually using the scale in practice, but I will say, you know, in reading a lot of the research, the reason I think it is so important is because it's tied. Like it goes, so go way back to Maslow. You remember Maslow and the hierarchy of needs and you know, he actually, he actually said, like, if you don't have first belongingness, then you can't get to those like other needs where you're actually growing. So if you're deficient in needs, you can't grow in these other needs, like cognitive needs, self-actualization needs, and some of those other kind of higher level things. So, you know, and when we started looking at the research, it was really 
impactful when I read some of the reports that had come out that sense of belonging, for instance, is positively associated with academic success, with motivation, and students who feel like they belong are more likely to see the value of the work they do and to have higher self-belief in their chances to succeed. And how many times do we have students who go out in the clinic and they're just, I hear it so many times that like, oh, they just don't have the confidence they need. They just don't have that confidence. But like belongingness is tied to that. Belongingness is tied to their ability to achieve academic success, for their ability to achieve that feeling of confidence. So to me, it was just really eye-opening to learn that this kind of sense of this feeling that we have is actually tied to our ability to succeed academically. And I think that being on this research with you, and I'm so glad that you brought me into this uh, research on belongingness, I was of the mindset that when a student was either soft-spoken or they weren't proactive with raising their hand to speak in class, or if I had a clinical instructor tell me, you know, hey, Don, your student is not um, being assertive, they're not, they seem like they're just hiding in the wind, I used to say, well, maybe they lack confidence. When now, given the research with you and looking at the background research, especially that was done in nursing and medicine, is it truly confidence or is it because a student doesn't feel like they belong? And when I look at the students that I have taught over the years, I started looking at all students, but looking at which students were having issues, if you will. And it's tended to be my racial and ethnic minority students, if you will, or those from diverse backgrounds that were not of the cultural majority. I'm like, why is that? And then I started thinking, where are they going for clinical experiences? And so talk a little bit about how that affects belongingness when a student is going to a clinical experience in a certain clinical setting or a different region of the country, or if their CI doesn't look like them or share their sociocultural identity, how does that impact belonging? Yeah, I mean, I think it has a huge impact. And they actually, there was a scoping review done recently in 2018, specifically on belongingness and health professions. And they actually found that, you know, it really influences a learner's identity formation, especially among minority students. And actually a, li a lack of belongingness was a significant factor associated with depression and suicidal ideation in international students. So I think, you know, when you bring that up, I think, you can't just, we don't necessarily have control of everything that happens in the clinic, right? We don't necessarily, we can't plop somebody into a clinic and think, oh, they're going to feel like they belong if we do this, that, and the other. It's a culture change, and it's sometimes a systemic change. And so I think it's on us a little bit to be intentional about, number one, how we recruit clinical sites. Like, I am now very intentional when I recruit a new site and asking, like, you know, tell me what you do to help students feel like they belong there. Tell me what kind of initiatives you have in place to make sure students you know, succeed and feel like family or what diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives are, do you have in your institution? But then I think on the, on the other side, we also have to be really intentional about where we place students, right? And, and talking to them and hearing their story and what are their needs and what are their desires and what are their interests and where are they gonna feel most comfortable? And then making sure that site is gonna meet their needs so that we can maximize the feeling of loneliness. And I appreciate what you said. Like you said, we can't, you know, as one DCE to another, we can't control every <laughs> aspect of the clinical setting. We can't cherry pick things. We try, well, we try. We, we try to, <laughs> you're right, we definitely try to. But we, but we can't control everything. But there are things that are within our control. And like you said, which is a great point, we have to be intentional with the sites that we select. I know that, you know, you know as well that there are, are many PT programs that are struggling to yeah. get sites for our students. 
but you can't just say any site that knocks on your door, take it. You have to figure out what do our students need from an individual basis, as well as meeting our, our requirements for our curriculum. But then what does that site have to offer? And not just in terms of the clinical skills the CI has, but who is the CI? And like you said, vet that process better. And I don't know if there exists now, you know, a, I don't want to say a checklist for lack of a better term, but a way that we can standardize or develop best practices or guidelines for DCEs and PT programs to vet their sites better and be more intentional to make sure that it's a win-win and the students have that belonging. Have you come across anything like that? You know, I have not come across any best practices. You know, there's always a lot of conversations happening nationally, but it always takes a really long time to like come into practice um, and have it be more streamlined. You know, you know, one thing we've considered doing um, at our institution is embedding some of this language in our contracts and in our affiliation agreements, right? So then sites are, are kind of held to that, so to speak, and we can hold them accountable. Um, but that also takes a lot of time and initiative with it being a, a bigger institution. And some of these contracts are across lots of different programs. Um, but I would like to see that happen as well, Don. I think it's really important. And I think sometimes, you know, we do just, sometimes we're just like, oh my gosh, we just need somewhere to put this student. But knowing that if they don't first feel that sense of belongingness and feel like they can actually maximally achieve what they're to do there, it ends up putting number one, more work on us. Yeah. We're not helping the student. Everybody's spinning their wheels, working harder and harder and trying to get the student to where they need to be when really it can just boil down to the fact that they're, they're at the wrong site. Like, and it's so funny, we talk about matching and we talk about fitting in. And, you know, this actually came up in our, our presentation, but, you know, I love a good Brene Brown quote, but she said, you know, it's not about fitting in. She says, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And I think that's what we need to do for our students. We need to allow them to be who they are and they should be able to be that at their site. They shouldn't be required to change or fit into that site. They should be embraced for their individual and unique differences and just blossom as who they are, no matter what that looks like. Yes, I think what you just said is, I've heard that before, it is excellent. I think that every DPT program, even PTA program needs to take that quote from Brene Brown and thread it through their, their curriculum so that students understand that be who you are, I'm not expecting you to change because if we do, then they're losing themselves in the process. And that affects just their ability to thrive and mm -hmm. succeed within a program. So that's huge. If you think about even just in physical therapy, educational programs in general, through the admissions process, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you've sat in a lot of meetings, a lot of us have, and they're like, is this student a good fit for our institution? And it's like, do we really need to be asking that question? Is this student a good fit? Or can our institution support this student as the person that they are? Do we embrace this person for who they are? And can we uplift them and help them achieve academic success by creating that sense of belongingness. 
Yes, that's, that's, I couldn't have said it better myself. You're absolutely right about that. And that's why I cringe with that word fit, because when we tend to look at students that are coming in through the admission process, we start comparing them to existing students. And we start saying, well, we want students that look just like the students that are here already, that have the same academic prowess, that have the same um, background as existing students. But why are we doing that? We're creating um, a homogeneous population of students when if we truly want to educate and graduate students who are reflective of our society and who can treat efficiently, you know, a, a multitude of patients from diverse sociocultural backgrounds and be able to empathize with these patients, well, then we don't want the student who is just the mirror image of a 4.0 student who, yeah, they have some service and some observation and volunteer skills, but when it comes to their ability to connect with people based upon their lived experiences, they don't have them. So you're absolutely right about that. Now, when we think about belongingness in the clinical experiences, how does that, does that have generalizability to what happens in the didactic classroom, even before they come out? What role does that play in the, the classroom environment for belongingness? Yeah, I mean, I think it has huge implications because I feel like, um, you know, number one, I think it boils down to, does the student in general feel like they belong in this physical therapy profession? Like, do they feel like they belong as a student of physical therapy? Because I think if that's not tailored and if that's not fostered in the classroom and they don't first just feel like a sense of belonging as a physical therapy student in general, I'm not sure no matter what the clinical setting does, if they can change that, right? Like, that student first needs to feel like they belong in this profession and in this program to then be able to achieve that optimal belongingness in the clinical setting. Now, that's not to say that can't happen, but I definitely think it could have a negative impact if they don't, if they first didn't even feel like they belonged in the program, then they have to kind of work twice as hard, you know, to, to get that sense of belonging in the clinical space or the clinical site has to. So I think if we can start from day one in physical therapy program and creating that sense of belonging, and there are skills that exist for this too, by the way, and, and, and that's our next step. Our, ne right. our next step is actually modifying the skill to the classroom. You know, we started in the clinic because that was our passion, but we realized we need to, we need to bring it back full scale and look at belongingness in the classroom and the clinical space. Um, but I think it needs to start day one, the minute they walk into that program and really beyond that, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It need, they right. need to feel like they belong in the world and society um, and then feel like they belong in this like niche set, like career that they've chosen for themselves. Right. And in your experience, given in your, your academic experience to date, what kind of things, what are a few things that you think that faculty can do since belongingness, you know, can't just start in the clinic, it has to start in home base. What can faculty do to promote that belongingness of their students in the classroom? So that way, when they go to the clinic, they are armed with the tools to, they themselves create a sense of belonging, but then to expect their CIs to make them feel more welcomed. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a lot we can do. I mean, if you think about like just, what is belongingness in general? There's a lot of different definitions, but it's like, it's about connection. It's about having, you know, a sense of self-esteem. It's about feeling accepted by others. I, I think of, you know, belongingness in general is having that feeling of family, whether it's your family or not, right? Like you think about people grow up maybe where they don't have the closest knit family, but then they find their 
family, quote unquote, <laughs> right? And those are those people that, that they feel like they belong with. So I think for students, it's meeting in them where they are. It's showing interest in who they are. It's supporting them throughout their struggles. It's celebrating their successes. I think it's just allowing them to come to you as they are with open arms. You are trying to, I think it also goes to inclusive teaching, right? Having an inclusive classroom. You're trying to, you're not trying to have the students fit into your way of teaching. You need to model your teaching to meet the people that are sitting in front of you. Um, and you know, one thing I'm doing in my class this year that I'm starting in two weeks, which is I've been working on all day, but um, you know, one thing I'm doing that I've never done before because of this research and belongingness, I'm like, what can I do to bring this to my class? Right. And so there's actually a survey called um, that I got from another podcast that I listened to. It's called the Who's in Class form. And it's actually a form you give your students a week or two before they even walk into your class or the first day of class. But you learn like, okay, who is actually sitting in my classroom right now? How many males, how many females, how many people identify as this gender versus this, this gender? How many different races do I have? How many students are working full-time? How many students are caring for someone outside of class? And you really learn who it is sitting in front of you so you can model your teaching based on who's actually in your class. So not that your teaching needs to be the same from year to year, but you tailor it to who's in your class. Like if I have half of my class working full-time, I'm not going to be able to assign as much reading or outside coursework as I could if I didn't, you know, if I know I have people that are caring for other people outside of the class, like that's going to factor in to like what's going on in the classroom as well. And so I think it's just learning who is in your class, right. learning who your students are, and then fostering that relationship. To me, it's about relationship and connection. That's a great point, though, because you do, you do need to know who's in your class. And like you said, students are coming to our programs from all walks of life, whether they, you know, have a family of their own, they're, you know, they have children, they have a spouse or they're single parents, they're caring yeah. for other people, they're working. And we're often not conscious of that. So that's a great point that you bring up because we should be tailoring our curriculum to meet the needs of our students. We know fundamentally what we need to teach, you know, per CAFI recommendations, et cetera, but you have to be able to pivot a little bit and meet the needs of your students. So I, I that's a great point. That is a well, great I think point. Intrinsically, they all want to be there, right? Yes. And intrinsically, they all want to succeed or yes. they would have applied to these demanding programs like physical therapy, but there's a lot of extrinsic factors that play into that. Mm -hmm. So I think and, those are the things we have to take into account and get to know about our students. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me when you said those extrinsic factors, it reminds me like I teach using the ICF model. And when we look at our patients, we look at their health condition, we look at their body structure and their function, their activities, their participation. Yes. But what are those contextual factors? Yes. Well, why are we not applying that to our students to say, what are those personal and environmental factors that may enhance, but also yes. inhibit their ability to learn? So I think, they make yeah, or break their patients, right? And their outcomes. What yes. about our students and their outcomes? Yes, I love it, Donna. I love it. That's our next research to so do an ICF model for a student. Yes. Success. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my other questions for you is, where, where is your research going now? So where is, where is your research team right now? And what are some of your goals with this research? You validated the, the uh, scale for belongingness. What are your next steps? 
Right. So yeah, we have a validated scale. I don't know if I said that, but we have a validated scale called um, the belongingness scale for the clinical placement experience. It's specifically been adapted and modified for DPT students. So we are currently in the process of writing the manuscript, which will hopefully be published sometime in the next year. Um, so once it's published, I encourage everybody to use it. We are going to ask people to just ask permission to use it, but it will be free to use. I'm actually trying to get it embedded right now into Exact, which is a big clinical education platform. So hopefully for those of you who do use that platform, it will be available there. Um, so we want to continue to track who's using it and what kind of outcomes we're getting because one of our goals in our past research, besides validating the scale, was we really wanted to see how belongingness differs with various sociocultural identities. So we need more data to do that. We did not get enough data to do that because the diversity of our profession is not that diverse. So you know we need to, we need a lot greater sample size to be able to do that. But also with what we were discussing earlier, our next step outside of the clinic is looking at belongingness in the classroom. So we definitely wanna take this research and bring it to the classroom as well, which there's already a scale that exists again in the nursing literature. So we're gonna, we're gonna modify that um, to the physical therapy students also. So everyone stay tuned, because I know that we've got a lot of inquiries about, can I have the scale, where is the scale, but that's coming sooner than later. Yes, stay tuned. Stay tuned. So one final question that we asked of all of our, um, our participants is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, what would that be? Why? And how would you change it? You know, I reflected on this a little bit, and I actually had an experience this week that made me re reflect even greater. And, and I thought, you know, this is something we all need to do as people, as healthcare professionals, as students, as faculty, and, and that's listen. We need to listen more. Um, and I'm guilty, I'm not great at it either sometimes, but I, you know, I had an experience where I was, I was in a, a doctor's office at an eye doctor appointment and I was looking so forward to it because I desperately need new glasses because I can't see um, and I'm getting headaches. But I, as I was there, you know, the person talking to me was typing on their computer the whole time. Their back was to me. My dog's listening very well right now. Back was to me. And I was, I felt like I was not being heard, you know? And in this world of like fast paced, high productivity standards, you know, lots of demands on our time. Sometimes I think we just need to slow down and listen. Right. So I think if, if I can impart on my physical therapy students to like, listen to your patient, get the whole story. Don't be thinking about what question you're going to ask next. If I could do that for my students, you know, if we could all do that for each other, I think right. the world will be a better place. Right. And, that, and that's huge. I mean, we talk about active listening for our students in the clinic, in the classroom, whatever class that we're teaching, whether it's differential diagnosis class, cardiopulm class, et cetera, we need to really put a lot of emphasis on active listening. And you're absolutely right about that. We're teaching you the skills to be able to treat the patient, but are you truly listening to their story, their lived experience so that the patients themselves feel like they belong in your clinic and yes. are able to be treated by you. So that that's huge. And I, I appreciate you saying that because that, that goes a long way. That goes. A long I agree. Way. And I will say, you know, at the end of this visit, I had this past week, at, at the very end of the visit, I mean, and I will, I will admit I was crying because I was just like, I just don't feel like I'm getting what I need from this provider right now. And at the end of the visit, she finally turned around and 
actually talked to me like a, a human being, not a computer screen. And I said to her, and I think we need to call each other out on this stuff. I said to her, I was like, thank you for looking me in the eye and hearing my story and listening to me because I feel heard right now in this moment, whereas earlier I did not. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we're all guilty of that sometimes, you know, but I think everyone has a story. Everyone has a lived experience. Everybody's bringing something into the room, you know, whether it's the classroom, the clinic room, the hospital room. And I think if we can focus on listening and learning that story, we're going to provide better care and we're going to have better outcomes, whether it is in the classroom or the clinic. Right. And I, I think it kind of reminds me of when you, I think you were at ELC 2021. Mm -hmm. Did you listen to the keynote speaker? I'm, I'm, I'm not remember her name, but when she was oh, saying yes. we have all these professionalism courses, but revamping the name of those courses and I mean, basically calling the empathy course because those aren't soft skills. That yeah. actually is a hard skill that I believe that many of our programs are just glossing over. And so when it comes to active listening, that's our way of showing some empathy with our patients and really show them that we care. We talk about our, our core values, compassion and caring, but are we really modeling that? And that has to start in the classroom in order for our students to be able to use that in the clinic. So that's, that's huge. And I think we need well, to do a better job. Basic human needs. We got to bring basic the humanities needs. into medicine. Yes. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that many physical therapy educators as well as clinicians are looking forward to reviewing our published manuscript when that comes out and using our belongingness scale for the clinic. And, you know, sooner than later, we'll have one for the classroom. So I definitely appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your insights. And we hope to talk to you soon on possibly another podcast when you say, here's our scale and look what we're doing. So I appreciate you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Dawn. Thanks for Thanks having me. So Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.